When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. Uh, it's Thursday. It's the viewer's voice. I'm your host, Matt. Uh, with me again for a second appearance, Jonathan, on the show. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks very much, Matt. Yeah, it's, uh, Gav changed up the intro there. That certainly wasn't as long as I uh, remember it being. It's usually a lot more fun, the viewer's voice intro. Um, so we're, uh, we're just going to have a little chat about uh, Liverpool going forward, short, medium, and long term. Next couple of games before the World Cup break, the January transfer window, and then long-term, the legacy of Jurgen Klopp. So, quick thoughts. How did you uh, you like the Napoli game before we get into the next three? I'd tell you about the Napoli game. I was over at the Leeds game last weekend. Unlucky? Yeah, very unlucky. So, a hard weekend in Liverpool. Um, Watching the Napoli game on the couch... The hard weekend caught up with me and I fell asleep. <laughs> so I had to watch it. I had to watch the replay. So I watched uh, some of the highlights. But what I, I appreciate from, your honesty. Yeah, there's no point lying. I'm not going to come on here and pretend I, I saw the 90 minutes of the game. But I did see a good portion of it. But then I had a little mid-game snooze. And Liverpool kind of had caught up with me at that stage. But um, I liked. Uh, I thought we were a little bit more solid. I I like that we're going back to four three three. I just haven't been convinced by the four four two, four four two diamond or whatever reiteration we've had of that formation. I just haven't been convinced by it at all. Um, so I'm happy we've gone back to four three three. Yeah. I it's, I I thought four three three might be kind of on the way out, but the uh, the injuries all across the park have kind of leveled it out where. 4-3-3 seems to cover up our deficiencies kind of the best and helps that Curtis Jones is able to come in and fill in at left wing because that's where we're really short on players. Uh, well, looking forward to the Spurs game on Sunday, uh, you think Curtis Jones keeps his spot in the team? Do you think Klopp goes with the 4-3-3 again? It's interesting. I, I think he'll stay with the 4-3-3. As I said already, I wasn't convinced by the new formations. Plus, I don't think formations are our actual problem. It's personnel. So whether we play 3-5-2, 4-2-3-1, the issues are there now um, with personnel more so than formation. But I think Curtis Jones deserves another chance on the left wing. I'd, I'd like to see Nunes through the middle and Salah on the right. I think Bobby's probably due a game out now. He's played a lot of football recently and the goals have started to dry up. So I'd like to see that front line um, freshened up a bit. Yeah, I think everybody's ready to see more of Darwin Nunez as well, too. I mean, the, the guys in the show last night eventually got around to talking about Darwin Nunez and having mm. a proper love in for him. But and he is he's just exciting. And I think the way that Spurs are going to play, it it might be helpful to have that that instant turn of pace that Darwin showed when he crossed that ball for Mo, where he just stood the defender up and just dropped the shoulder and was gone past them in two strides sort of thing. 
you know, that that could be useful for uh, playing against a team that's going to almost certainly set up in a low block counterattack like Spurs are going to. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see will Conte play on the counterattack at home. Um, they have a lot of injuries, actually. I was reading today that um, Son is out, Kulisevsky is out, and Richarlison is out. Mm-hmm. So that blunts their attack. So it is probably more likely that Conte will play on the counter. Um, yeah, probably 3-5-2. Or... Yeah, yeah. It was 3-5-2, or was it 3-4-3, 3-5-2 the night against Marseille. They had Lucas Moore, Harry Kane, and Son. Obviously, Son is going to be out now. So I don't know who... Go- I'd say they'll go 3-5-2. I don't know who plays left wing from if they don't have Richarlison, Son, or Kuzlevsky. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we're we actually running into an appointment at a half-decent time. It usually seems like it's us that's suffering the major injury crisis when we're going to play another one of the big teams. So it's uh, like... I know Dan Austin is asking if Son will be wearing a mask. Like, if he just had his surgery, I'd have to imagine he won't be available for the weekend. No, I think he's out. According to reports today, he's out for Sunday's game. Yeah. It's, I, hopefully he's back in time to go and play at the World Cup and run his legs off for South Korea because he doesn't play for Liverpool. So I hope he runs mm. himself into the ground in the in the heat of Dubai. Uh, now what about at the back line? You think Ibu goes again? I think he has to. Yeah. I think I, I think Matip is still out, and um, unfortunately, Gomez has become um, like he's been at fault for the Leeds game and the Forest game. So I, I just don't think we can trust Gomez anymore to consistently play in that team. You saw the difference Canati had the other night because probably squeezed that little bit higher up because he had the pace to cover in behind and against an attack that included Osman and I'm going to try to pronounce the Georgian's name, but real pace down that side, and he dealt with it comfortably. So we'd be thinking of when Kane drops into pockets, so he's put balls in behind us, that we have Kanata's pace to recover. I just think Gomez just become too much of a liability now. He's probably mentally f- flawed a bit after the last few games. Yeah, it, it, it'll be a testament of his character if he's able to come back from this again, because I mean, he has to be as aware as fans are that, you know, that some of these goals are kind of hanging around his neck, even though, you know, there's other extenuating circumstances around them, like not defending a free kick properly. You know, Gomez gives away a cheap free kick, but we should still be able to defend a free kick against Nottingham yeah. Forest. But the, the the back pass is kind of killer. Like that, that has to hang heavy on a guy's mind going through it. But, and he's still, he's still young. Like, do you see, do you see Gomez as an option for us going forward? Like in the next couple of years? Take- I've been talking all week about potential for a couple of sacrificial lambs in the summer for the rebuild, that we may potentially have to lose some of that first-team squad. And I think Gomez, if we got a good offer of 30 to 40 million, could be one of those ones that we lose. I think we might lose one other player. This rebuild is not going to happen on club revenue alone, unfortunately, or FSG money. It's going to need some one or two players to be sold. Who those players are, I don't know, but Gomez is potentially one you could get 30 to 40 million for. I mean, he's an English center half, so I think the going price is at least 50 million. You know? Yeah, but the, even the homegrown premium alone should yeah. get, or get you 30 million minimum. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, in the midfield, like I, I'd like to see Thiago Fabinho Henderson. I think this is a big game. I'm hoping all three of those guys are fit and ready to go. I'd like to be able to field our best 11 against Spurs. I think it's a, it's a big game for our season. We need a little bit of 
tail end of the first half of the season momentum here, and hopefully we can get six points in the league and close this out. Yeah, they really haven't got really much options in midfield. Um, I, I just don't see Harvey Elliott playing this game because, as you said, Spurs on the counter-attack and Hel- Elliott's real lack of defensive nose and ability to track runners. I just couldn't see him starting the game. This. Now, the same could be labelled at Henderson this season. He's been poor with players running off his back this year. But I think you're probably right. He goes with Henderson's experience. If we go Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago, there's very little other options. I don't see Ox coming in. I don't trust Elliot in the game. Jones seems to maybe be looking like he's going to be pushed towards the front three. So there's very few options. Milner, maybe. I, I thought Milner, for what I saw the other night, was one of our better performers. Does he get the nod ahead of Henderson? Wouldn't be against it. And I didn't think I'd be saying that at the start of the year that I'd be picking Milner for one of the biggest games of the year. But as much as he gets criticized, he, he's been far from our, one of our worst performers this year. No, it's uh, the, the James Milner hate brigade, brigade on the internet has to step down a tiny little bit because, I mean, especially the last couple games, Milner's just, he's put in such a great shift and he's doing more than what we should be asking him to do because needs must, but that's exactly the kind of team player that James Milner is like, he's that the epitome of professionalism. So uh, I'm just, I'm not entirely sure if Milner's going to be cleared fit to play. I, if there's any lingering issues from that knock on the head that he took in midweek, he might need to be held back just as a precaution. What are the, someone in the chat might tell us what the Premier League concussion protocols are. Uh, is there a certain uh, type Kevo Sullivan. There we go. Milner concussion protocols probably rules him out. We will know tomorrow. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'd like, I'd like the team to err on the side of caution. I mean, if it's not for elder abuse, it's simply because we don't really have a ton of extra players kicking around. So we need to kind of make sure we don't get James Milner any worse hurt than he currently is. Um, but that's that's about enough on Spurs. I know the boys are going to get into it properly tomorrow in the uh, weekend preview show. Uh, this brings us on to the Derby League Cup game on Wednesday. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm excited for this game because yeah, you know, everybody's Everybody says the the League Cup is kind of a free hit if you're not playing in it. And I know some people don't like that kind of attitude that every game is a must-win game. But, like, I don't see dropping out in this round. Like, yeah, losing the Derby is embarrassing. you got to take your licks for it. But given the state of our season, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, I I suppose we never like to lose. But I actually look forward to the early rounds of the League Cup because we get to see some of the younger players and some of the fringe players. So I watched the Uke game the other day the, against Napoli in the 19 yeah. Champions League. And I really like to look at some of the players there. So I'd love to see maybe Bobby Clark, Ben Doak, even young Kwanzaa, is that how you pronounce his name? Centre-back, yeah. he yeah. won the Euros of England in the summer. I'd like to see some of them get a run out. And maybe Oakley Kinnear up front. He, I know he didn't play the other day, he was injured. But that excites me about the League Cup. I love to see the young players. Then we all get carried away. And then before you know it, Ben Woodburn's up and on loan up in Scotland. And there's your yeah. next Yeah, we got to have somebody become our new youngest ever goal scorer. So I don't know if any of the kids in the under. Like, I, I, I mean, that's why I love the early rounds of the League Cup. Because, I mean, I'm I'm ready to see Stefan Bacetic get a start for the team. I wouldn't have been blown away had Klopp started him against Napoli. But he fielded a much stronger team than I was kind of expecting him to. 
so I fully, I fully expect like, I mean, I think there's a couple players that are pretty much nailed on to get their starts. I Calvin Ramsey's almost a guaranteed start. Yeah. You'd imagine it'll be Ramsey, Gomez, Phillips, Simicas. Yep. Your backline, Batisic, yep. Milner, Ox. Yeah, Ox, maybe Navi. Oh, Navi, yeah, he still exists. <laughs> I'd love to see Bobby Clark or Ben Doak play, but may not play them. So you probably have Carvalho. Chris Brack is after putting up a team there. Um, I'd say it won't be far wrong. No, maybe yeah, Kel- Kel- Kelleher and goal, he's, he's long overdue a start now. So it'll be good to see Cueve back in between the pipes. Uh, Ramsey, Canate, Gomez, Simicast, Milner, Bacetich, Jones, Chamberlain, Nunez, Carvalho, and then a bunch of kids on the bench. And yeah, like I, I kind of agree with you. I think, I think Klopp will give Phillips a run up. I, yeah, I think just, so. just as a reward. I don't see Canate playing three games in seven days after coming back from injury. Yeah, Unreal. yeah, because I. I, I think we want to keep Kanate uh, fit and ready to go for Southampton because the league games don't are just don't see Nunes playing either. I don't think anyone going to the World Cup is going to play in that game. So Nunes will be going with your way to the World Cup. So I couldn't see Klopp playing him in that game. Yeah, you could see Firmino maybe get a start with the kids and take 45 minutes and then, you know, switch him off at halftime for... Like, I'm really hoping that one of those young kids from the unders comes up and gets some time with the team, whether it's Ben Doak or Trent Cone doherty because, like, they they just seem to be scoring goals for fun. Yeah, I'd say Bobby – I actually really like Bobby Clark. I'd love to see him play. Um, I think he'll definitely get a run out. He was been on the bench early in the year for the first team. But I'd love to see that. I'm just looking forward to the overreaction, overhyping of the young fellas and what I call the, the Billy Gilmore effect. Yeah, young, young lad plays a couple of good games. He's been the next big thing. Then he's forgotten about in a few years. Hopefully, our young fellas won't become that. We have a tendency to to overhype and blow up some of our young lads, and they just disappear into the night. I think that's a. I think that's a universal across it, all. Yeah, sports. I think it's, and it, it's every. And I mean, that's for good reason too. You know, it's, you want to be able to make a few of your squad players in a couple of years in your academy because it's saving you just millions and millions and millions on it. So, and you know, some of them like eventually one of them has to come good. Like you've got to think out of. They've got a pretty decent team. They're doing pretty good in the. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, Laszlo really uh, really threw me there. Queen between pipes means something very different over here. My bad. My bad. Is uh, queef? Is that like from South Park? As in a lady's queef? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Those are those are uh, two very proud Canadians. The Queef sisters are off of South yeah, Park. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I just I don't see I don't see Klopp taking it super seriously. He stated in the past that he doesn't care too much for the domestic cups and we won it last year. So, you know, you want to make a good fist of it as defending champions, but at the same time, we've got the trophy on the shelf, you know, Klopp's got that medal around his neck, so he doesn't need to take it overly seriously. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm really, really excited to to see some of these young kids get a run out. Even Luke Chambers seems like. Yeah, he was impressive on, Tuesday or Wednesday against Napoli. He's a big, strong lad, scored a yeah. goal. And so physically, he looked like he might be able for it. Yeah, the that's kind of the likes of Trent Cohen Doherty and Ben Doak is they're that little bit younger again. They're the 16, 17 bracket and physically might not be up to it. Yeah, real, real small. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, the, the, the nice thing about Chambers, it was, I, I remember we played Aston Villa in the UEFA Youth Cup, I think two seasons ago, and Carney Chukwumeka was playing for their youth team, and it looked like they like forged his birth certificate, and he was three years too old, like, he was obviously in a man's body playing yeah. with a bunch of boys, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting off of Chambers, is he, he just looks like he's that next he level. He for Chelsea, Carney Chukwumeka. Yeah, he did. Yes, Has he, he played for him yet? don't think so i would be surprised no. if he had i'm sure somebody in the chat can quickly look that up for us um and yeah our final game before we uh take six weeks off for a silly world cup is southampton on next saturday you've got to be I, excited for the world cup i i mean the bar is very low for Canada. We've been to one World Cup before. We didn't score a goal, lost all three games. So as long as we score a goal, we've had yeah. a great World Cup. But we got an exciting, we got an exciting young team. Uh, yeah. I was, I was chatting with somebody about this here a couple of days ago. Uh, I, oh, it's Stephen Murphy, I think, in our Telegram group. And he said, like, we play with Alfonso Davies because he is so obviously the best player on our team. He doesn't play left back. He plays wherever he needs to go to get the ball. But then again, that's when we're playing CONCACAF qualifiers against Panama and Honduras and stuff like that. We're in a group with Croatia, Belgium, and Morocco. We are going to get slaughtered. Julian Loren is very um, it's high praise for Jonathan David. Do you ever listen to the Totally Football podcast? Uh, I've got a few episodes. I'm, I'm yeah. familiar with Julian Loren. Yeah, I, I mean, Jonathan David is good. Uh, high Tejon praise is- for him. Yeah, Tejan Buchanan, he's he's another quality player there. Like, yeah, Canada's got, like, it's definitely the best Canadian national team that we've ever had. I mean, the fact that we can consistently compete with Mexico and the United States when normally those guys just count us as an automatic three points. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but the games are on at crazy early times, so it's going to be hard to watch them. And, again, we're going to get absolutely snotted by Croatia and Belgium. So. You never know. You never know. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh but Southampton, I mean, uh, going back to our preseason predictions, which basically all of mine have been completely incorrect, with the exception of Calvin Ramsey getting his first start against Derby, which looks like it's going to come good. So I'm all right on that mm-hmm. one. Uh, Southampton is doing much better than I thought they would. Uh, I thought Southampton were going to be in a world of trouble this season. Their young kids seem to have really settled in well. Yeah, there seems to be they got a few in from Man City's academy and. Is there, I, I don't know if they're getting a coach from Man City. That was the link. But um, they always seem to be a team that you'd always say, oh, look, they could go down this year. But they always seem to pull out at the end. Like, they have some good players. Um, obviously, the dangerous of War Prowse from Dead Balls is always there. Like, for me, it has to be six points for, for the Christmas break. Like, we cannot yeah. let the teams ahead of us go any further, especially Spurs. I think Spurs and Chelsea are the most vulnerable. I think Man United might get top four. Hate saying that. Really hate saying that. But I think they might get top four. And I think if we're going to pip anybody, I don't think Newcastle will stay the course. It'll be Chelsea and Spurs. So I think we need to beat Spurs Sunday and follow it up on Saturday with victory against Southampton. Because if we only get three or four points from those two games, we're going into the new year with a lot of points behind us. Kevin Ball says they got the head of the academy from City's leave early with Chelsea. Chelsea's just signing absolutely everybody. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's 
we're currently on pace for 51 points or something like that. I think, you know, we've only got 16 points on the board. Like it's just not enough, but I don't think we're out of like, I've heard some people in listening to some other shows in the last couple of days think saying like, you know, if we don't take six points in the next two games, we're out of the top four race. I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think the I think this season is going to be so hard to predict, with the exception of a city procession to the title. I think that's pretty mm. much a guarantee. Like, I don't think anybody can say with any sort of assurance what Arsenal's going to look like when the league comes back after the World Cup. You know, a couple of injuries here and there, and that they could be in a world of hurt. United, they seem to have hit on something that works, you know, for the yeah. moment. I don't think United are, like... It, it's, it's just solid. They're not conceding too many goals and they have a bit of a trick going forward. So they've kind of, I don't think it's anything that'll bring them too far in the long term. But look, Ten Hag will probably evolve as, as he settles and signs more players, right? I think they might come top four. Kevin Sullivan thinks Newcastle are best place to get top four with no European football. I just don't see it. I don't rate Newcastle that highly. I look at their team. It, it doesn't do a whole pile for me. I think they'll drop plenty of points. I think Spurs are the, and Chelsea are the vulnerable ones. That's why I really feel we need to win Sunday against Spurs. Can't keep saying, oh, we'll get top four, we'll get top four. Before you know it, we could be 10, 12, 14 points behind and over half the season gone. I don't see this current Liverpool team pulling that type of deficit back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, it's what makes the the last two league results just that much more painful is that they happened on weekends where we could have stolen a march on the teams above us. Mm. You know, Chelsea and United playing each other. Somebody's got to drop points there. Well, as it yeah. turns out, no. They actually both gained points on us because we contrived to lose to fucking Knott's Forest somehow. Like, just little things like that. Like, you know, Chelsea getting battered around the place by Brighton. Perfect. You know, we can gain some points on. Nope. You know, we yeah. dropped the ball again. Yeah, it's. I think it's going to make the the second half of the season. It's going to make the head to head games and the uh, to be rescheduled or already been rescheduled game against Chelsea. Like, there's going to be some ding dong games coming up. Like, it it could be tight. It could be there could be you know five six teams in the in the race for two or three Champions League places. And make for a real exciting end to the season. But I fully on board. Like, I ex- I expect this to beat Southampton. I I just do. I don't rate them very highly. That's my agenda for the season, and I'm going to stick with it until they are mathematically safe from relegation. Uh, but I just I don't see their goal threat. I'm fuck, I said the same thing about Leeds and Nottingham Forest, though. So who knows? Uh, <laughs> but I think having Ibu Kanate back at the back just makes us that little bit more solid. The way that Trent's been playing lately, of being a little bit more reserved, having Andy Robertson back to what looks like reaching his top form again, it makes me confident in our defense to keep out the likes of Shea Adam and Stuart Armstrong and things like that. As long as we're not giving away too many silly free kicks for the greatest free kick taker in the Premier League, you know, we we should be good. We should have enough. Yeah, the slight worry at the minute is that we seem to be able to get up for the bigger game so we can perform against Man City and Ajax and um, I suppose even against Arsenal for 60 minutes we weren't too bad. 
it's the games against the weaker opposition. We just don't seem to be able to perform at all. That when the big games come, big we seem to be like a big prize fighter. We know how to to win the big ones, but we just don't seem to get enough for the games against lesser opposition. The only thing is that it's Southampton, it's at home. So I'm yeah. hoping that the Enfield factor alone will carry us. But I thought that Saturday night, and I was sitting in my seat above the Leeds fans when that each night winner winner went in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and I mean to me, there's like there's a different feel about how we played against some of the lower teams, you know, quote unquote lower teams this year versus like in the title winning season where we had some tight fought games, you know, which we usually came out as one nothing winners in, but it didn't seem like the team was carrying this air of, I don't know, overconfidence about it. Like we used to go into games against the lower table teams, knowing that it was going to be dogged and it was going to be a fight. And, you know, you can't give away too many corners and free kicks and things like that. And you're going to have to be really tidy with the ball and would be able to fight out and scrape out that kind of win. And to me, it gives some credence. I kind of thought it was BS at the start of the season that, you know, players are holding themselves back for the world cup. But I think that there's a pretty big kernel of truth in that. Like, especially somebody like Virgil van Dyke of knowing that he's going to be played every game. And if he goes as hard as he needs to go to make up for other players' shortcomings, he's going to overextend himself and he's going to miss the world cup. And I think that's had something to do with, especially the Nottingham Forest in the Leeds game. Like it was just, it was so lackadaisical, like the players just showing up, like they were told that they got the three points regardless of what happened, you know, in between the chalk lines sort of thing. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a piss, piss poor attitude. I think a lot of players across the Premier League are going to be uh, minding themselves for the next two games. Yeah. You'll yeah. see uh, a dip in performance for a lot of players in the next two games. Um, like if you're going, you, the World Cup is literally you're any injury now when you're out of the World Cup. Even a little muscle tear, two, three weeks, that's it, you're gone. So I think a lot of players are going to be minding themselves these next two games. But we're just not in a position to, to be minding ourselves. Like we need to get six points. For me, it has to be six points. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it will be six points. I mean, mostly because my brother-in-law is a Spurs fan, so I can't even fathom the idea of losing to them. So I'm just going to put those three points down on the board, and I think Saints are kind of garbage. So that looks good. Let's get into the juicy stuff, though. Uh, before we do that, why doesn't everybody just go ahead, if you haven't already, hit that like button for us. Help get the uh, show out there and get our faces on a few more screens, get a few more people in to share in the joy that is the LFC Day Trippers. I know since I've become a fan a few years ago, I've loved every minute of it. So may as well try to spread that around and share it with as many people as we can. But Gav gave us the uh, pretty straightforward task of plotting out what we need to do in January. So, yeah. Yeah. It seems seems pretty easy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's obvious that we need to sign a midfielder. I think we'd all like to see somebody announce the minute that the window yeah. opens. But, you know, at least in the first couple of days. But the question becomes, who is actually gettable? You know, who can we get that solves our problems in the midfield that the team that currently owns that player is going to be willing to sell them to us? Yeah, realistically, I don't know who we can get in January. Um, money does talk, though. Money does talk. Um, I think there has to be a midfielder in the door the first week of January. There has to be. Julian Ward has to earn his money now. 
surely he's doing deals as we speak. Who these people are, I don't know. Like I, to me, the Joe Bellingham thing is a non-runner, full stop going forward. We just can't afford to pay a hundred to hundred and fifty million for one player when we realistically need three to four midfielders. So he's a non-runner for me straight away. I hear Conrad Lamar's name. I'm not going to say I've seen him play too much, but I did look up his injury record today on transfer market. and He'd fit in perfectly with us. He's missed yeah. 68 games since the start of the 2021 season. So he'd Lovely. fit perfectly. Yeah. Hmm. Bring his own personal masseuse over. Yeah. I don't know. Who do you think we can get, Matt? Re- like, realistically... I don't know. I've seen Emmett saying Tielemans. I just, I've said, I said to you pre-show, like we've enough midfielders that can't run. I don't want another fella that can't run. Tielemans would, yeah. would be fine as a Thiago substitute in a midfield that was functioning and working. But bring another fella into a midfield that can't run would just be um, a disaster. Yeah, and see, I, uh, I'm i of a slightly different opinion of you uh, when it comes to Yuri Tielemans. I like mm-hmm. Tielemans. I, it's, I think if he's got players that can run around him, like if I picture Yuri Tielemans playing for Liverpool and he's got Mo Salah ahead of him and Trent's running by on the outside of him and Joel Matip doing an amazing dribble in the middle and he's just kind of staying in a 15, 20-yard zone, you know, shuttling back and forth. Not a box-to-box, but just kind of like a, a half-holder, half-number-eight sort of midfield. I'm okay with that because – the opposite of Conrad Limer. You look at Yuri Tielemann's injury record, and it is impressive, considering that he has been ran into the ground since he was about 16 years old when he mm-hmm. broke through in Belgium. You know, it's it's surprising that he hasn't just pinged his knee or something like that. Uh, but I don't know if Lester would sell. I I think Lester might be a little bit too uncomfortable with the their proximity to the drop zone that I think that they'd be kind of hard-pressed to sell any of their assets unless somebody, like, if Newcastle comes in with a silly bid for Madison, I think they'll take that. Yeah. Chris has said could see a fire sale at Sporting Barca and Juventus due to them dropping out of the Champions League. Who do we really want? Frankie De Jong would be nice. But realistically, he's on, what, 400k a week at Barcelona. He'd have to half that to come to Liverpool. Yeah, I don't. I don't even think Frankie De Jong's money manager thinks that he's going to get another contract for four hundred thousand. Like, no I think problem, everybody man. involved with that knows that he's taking a massive pay cut wherever yeah. he goes. So maybe that means like if maybe he just runs his contract down. Like I think that's what Oxlade Chamberlain decided to do with Liverpool. Is he looked at what he's currently getting paid? You know, hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, and thought, well, what am I going to get if I take a transfer to Aston Villa? 75, 80, maybe a hundred thousand, probably not. Like you're almost better waiting out the year, taking all that extra money and then moving on a free, get yourself a little nice signing on bonus sort of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if De Jong did that, but I like I'd be happy to take a Frankie De Jong in our team. Oh yeah, look, Frankie De Jong, a Casado, and one other midfield would be fantastic. Declan Rice. All aboard Declan Rice train at the minute. A lot of people are not. I wouldn't be like 50, 60 million next summer. I'd definitely be interested in that. I wouldn't be paying 100 million for Rice. No. Would he be attainable in January? I don't know. Got excited there for a second. Tielemans is coming to us, but of course, that is from Arsenal for life. So, uh, I mean, to, to talk about Arsenal, 
they got a couple young players in there. And it made me think of when you mentioned selling Joe Gomez, because the first thing that came to mind is like, well, then we need another homegrown player. Like Emil Smith Rowe. I know he just signed a new contract at Arsenal, but he certainly seems to be unfavored at the moment. Odegaard is definitely in the team ahead of him. You know, 22 English, you know, creative. In theory, he can run. Somebody like that. But again, it comes down to price. But like to me, I wasn't last year when all the talk and, you know, going into last summer's transfer window of, you know, Declan Rice is a hundred million pound player. Everybody's waiting for Chelsea United to come in with this massive bid, you know, break the English midfielder transfer record for him. And I couldn't see it. I, I just didn't, I didn't see what others were seeing that made them all think that he's worth a hundred million. I watched Jude Bellingham a handful of times and it was like instant of like, yep. I can yeah. see why people value him highly, but this season watching Declan Rice, very impressive. And especially yeah, he, when we especially when we were playing with the double pivot, because that's what he plays. You know, he's used to that double pivot with Suchek beside him. And when I think like tall, kind of bald, gangly dude of like, I could see Declan Rice playing in a double pivot with Fabinho, like that would yeah, work, like, but a hundred million, no. No, he's not a he's not a hundred million footballer. Not yesterday, not today, and not tomorrow. He's not a hundred million footballer. But I think his contract, I don't know, he's got a year or two years left in his contract come the end of next summer. Someone might be able to clarify that for us in the chat. But I like a lot of what he does. Like he, and he's got great leadership qualities as well. He's been a captain at West Ham from a young age. He's got a, an engine on him. He can get around the field. Really what we're missing. So I could, I'd like to see him come in for Henderson. <sighs> Frankie De Jong is, is probably a pipe dream as well. Realistically, in January, I really don't know. A friend of the show, Kieran Thorne, said on Twitter the other day, Fafana, I think he's from Monaco. Don't know much about him either, but he reckons, seems to highly rate him. Like, there must be players out there that we can unearth. Like, we're not looking for, for me, if we can get in at least one player who can just cover ground, who can literally just cover ground, that would then enhance Thiago's game, probably enhances Fabinho's game. So then one player in January can just literally just gives us energy, legs and aggression in midfield. I just think that would improve Thiago, Henderson, Fabinho, even Elliot and Carvalho would improve. So I, I'm not expecting a hundred million pound player in January. I just want somebody in midfield that's got some energy, some drive, some spark. I, I think I know the type of player that all Liverpool fans are kind of thinking what we need in January, because I still think that we're the top pick for Jude Bellingham. I, I think unless the wheels really fall off at the club, I really think Liverpool are going to do everything they can to side Jude Bellingham and make him the centerpiece star of our midfield going forward. I think what we need in January, and I, if you would have asked me six, seven years ago, if I, I would have been blown away that I'd say this, but we need Jordan Henderson. Like, we need a 24-year-old Jordan Henderson. We need somebody that isn't there to get the glory or anything. Like, just run run your ass off. Play the system. Let the other players around you flourish. And I don't know who that is. I mean, I'm, I'm not... 2006, Momo Sissoko would be perfect. Yeah, you, like... It's, it, 2006, a, FA Cup final, Sissoko was doing the running for half the team in the final next extra time. So well, especially for Gerard, because he literally yeah. couldn't run. If he's out there. Yeah. Like those players exist and like they don't cost heaven and earth. It's then come next summer, then we then have to add the real quality. 
who the real quality is, everyone knows the names that are out there. I just don't think Jude Bellingham is a 125, 150 million silver bullet. We need more, and I just can't see us blowing our full transfer budget on because he just doesn't transform this team. He, we will need minimum four players next season. So I, but you I just don't, you like you don't think that having a generational talent, a transformative talent in midfield allows you to mask other deficiencies in the team. Like, I don't think you need to have somebody like, like a prime Gerard didn't need to be surrounded by world-class talent. Like his, his rising tide lifted the other boats as well. And to me, that's the type of player that the team is going to be going for. And I, like, I don't think it's going to happen in January. Like if Dortmund had been knocked into the Europa league, instead of making it through to the knockouts of the champions league, that might've been a goer in January. You know, you might've been able to prize him out of there, but I think it's, you're going to wait until the summer. And uh, who was it that said that in here? Kieran B says, I can see us getting bullied out of a Bellingham deal by crazy wages that others will offer. Hopefully Jude has made his mind up that it's us. And to me, that that's it. And it's the, it's the great thing about the, the transferring of players in football, as opposed to North American sports is that the players hold the cards. Like, if you're not willing to sign a club with that team, it doesn't matter what the teams agree to. Like, as Todd Bowley found out this summer, you know, he thought, I can't remember who it was he thought that he had signed, and the player was, oh, it was Delict. Delict's like, I don't want to go to Chelsea. And I was like, oh, I thought I just... Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I thought I owned you. Yeah, like, I thought I just bought it. Oh, yeah, look, if, if Bellingham is going to come to Liverpool, it'll have to be Liverpool and only Liverpool. He will have to go to Dortmund and say, I want Liverpool and only Liverpool. And you probably have to say, I'm going to take less wages for that. Because we all know City, Madrid, Man United, Chelsea will pay more wages than we are from. So he has to really want it. Whether he does or not, I suppose only Jude Bellingham knows that. Dan Austin with a bannable comment. We need prime Igor Biscan with a winky face there. So that, that winky face, I think, saved you a permanent ban. Uh, the the a tweet that got thrown into our little chat group just kind of before we came on says that Atletico Madrid have thrown a couple of players up on the uh, old auction block because they need to raise some funds, having had a disastrous Champions League campaign. Like yeah. Rodrigo no, DePaul. Yeah, like Rodrigo DePaul before he went to Atletico was you know pretty hot prospect. He was coming out of Napoli, I think, at the time. Uh, you amazing. You oh, amazing. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere in Italy, you know, yeah. I, that could be the type of player. Yeah. Lorente wasn't one of the four players named. It was, uh, which, Joe Felix, uh, Rodrigo de Paul and a couple others, but yeah. I think, I mean, I think Klopp could turn Joe Felix into a serious player. Well, that was, that was another one I was going to get yeah. to. Like, obviously Atletico Madrid are going to take a bath on Joe Felix. Yeah. If they're moving him on, they are not going to get anywhere close to the 126 or 128 million euros that they paid for him. He's an exciting player. Like he definitely needs a reset. He's a player whose career is at a major crossroads. And he's like a Firmino upgrade. He's certainly a lot faster than Bobby Firmino. Yeah. Like I, I, think, I mean well, go ahead. Yeah, I think Klopp could really do a job with uh, Joe Felix. He could then he could be your false nine or could play out wide. I think he's definitely one more taking a gamble. Yeah. Um, a lot of people seem to be on Rodrigo de Paul. Can't say I've seen a lot of him play, um, but I'll see him in the World Cup now. We'll get to see a good bit of him then. 
Red Steve is on board with that. He would take Rodney the Paul. I believe that means something different uh, over here than it does uh, over there. Red Steve, Red Steve had the fame. He had a comment in about um, Nabby Ox, and then we'll be like new signings. The famous like new signings. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw something getting bandied around somewhere that you know y'all don't be surprised if the club you know re-signs Navi Keita to a new contract. Even I'm not that optimistic. I I I I think I think that's a bridge too far. I think the uh, I think finally, me finally, I've been saying it for years that this is the the final season of Alexander Oxlade Chamberlain at this team. It, it has to be. They can't possibly re-sign him. And I think they have to cut the cord there. Yeah, and if, if we don't see Nabi Keita play in any of the next three games, I think that's a pretty damning indictment on his time at Liverpool, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the team try to ship him out in January. You yeah, know, actually, even forgot if about him for the Derby game. Actually, we yeah. actually didn't include him in the Derby game. He might play that game. If he doesn't play I mean, that it would, game... It would be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, what a... We actually could do with a fit Nebby Kate in the new year, and I hate seeing it, and I hate having to depend on him. But he's a very capable player when he plays eight to ten games in a row, and we're not exactly in a position to turn our nose up at him, unfortunately. No, no, it's unfortunately for all of us, Nebby Kate doesn't stay fit for eight or ten games in a row very mm. often. So. No, very rare. No, and I mean, I. He's still a Liverpool player, so I would like to see all of them come good. Like I, I'd love to have seen Chamberlain come off the bench against Forrest and make a telling difference. He just, he just didn't, and it's, it makes me wonder if, like, Klopp doesn't seem the type of manager to keep players around the team, but kind of give them the cold shoulder. It seems like if you're gonna, if you're gonna get on his bad side, he's gonna sacko you, and you're gone, and you're right out. But it just seems like. Like he's been disappointed one too many times, sort of thing with these two I, players. I think like, the, the writing in the wall was there for Ox at the end of last season when he wasn't even making the squad. Mm. In games where we were picking, like the last couple of league games, Villa away, Southampton away, we were picking kind of half half teams, and Ox couldn't even make the squad. I just don't. I'd say he was gone in the summer only for the injury in the friendly game. I'd say we'd have managed to get him out the door. To some poor soccer, but the injury came at the wrong time. I'd say we'd have probably got between eight and ten million from the summer until that injury came. Yeah, now we're stuck with it. Yeah, well, for another six months at the absolute most, hopefully. If not, he's like a new signing, and it'll be great. It'll be great. So that takes me uh, into our final topic, and this kind of came off of. Uh, you know, ruminating about our show we did last week with uh, Gav and Shawnee talking about the, the time of FSG at Liverpool. And I, I'm still struggling with where, where the blame line lies for, you know, the owners of the team and the people that they employ to run the team. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're employing the wrong people, it all comes down to the owners. I get that, but you can't just be sacking your director of football or sporting director you know, every six months sort of thing. Like you need to have, you need to have some sort of consistency there to build long-term and to have vision and to not make silly errors by forgetting where you're going in the long-term for what's directly in front of you. But I'm kind of coming to the conclusion 
that this is all, it's all going to land on Jurgen Klopp. I think it's all down to Jurgen Klopp. Whether the fan base turns against the ownership or whether the team turns around and we rediscover our form and we have a full rebuild and the Klopp Mark II Liverpool team takes off and goes and wins silverware, I think the next seven, eight months, the next two transfer windows are absolutely massive to the legacy of Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool because if things don't go right, you know, if we – if we just presume that our form for the start of the season is just what our form is going to be like, then Jurgen Klopp kind of goes out like Arsene Wenger where you look back on him and you go, ah, shit, you know, he probably should have went three years earlier, two years earlier sort of thing. And I'll, I'll still be okay with that because I've got no, I've got no, you know, personal connection other than reading about it and watching old clips to Shankly and Paisley and stuff like that. So for me, that, figure is Jurgen Klopp and he just he can do no wrong in my eyes and if he's going to leave the club it's going to be on his own terms I don't think the owners will ever fire him but on the flip side I think if we go through January and the owners are the tightwads that some people on the internet seem to think they are and don't make the money available for Julian Ward and Jurgen Klopp to bring in the players that we need to bring in I think one hint of animosity from Jurgen Klopp towards the ownership and I think they're done like I think if Jurgen Klopp comes out and you know the January transfer window closes and all we have is Martha Ello signed on loan from some you know another emergency you know sort of signing and we're all scratching our heads and if Jurgen Klopp comes out and has a press conference where he says you know we wanted these players but the owner said it just wasn't in the budget I think FSG is dead in the water from that because of the legacy of Jurgen Klopp. And I, I, I don't know what you think about that, but like, I just think it's so pivotal because he can resurrect this team. I have the, I have the confidence and the faith that Jurgen Klopp has the ability to build a second Liverpool team and to take us back up to the top of the mountain. But I yeah. also understand that it, there's no guarantees in anything, let alone in sport. So it's entirely possible that the good times have already passed us by and we haven't noticed it yet because we're still so high up, but we're coming down again. I suppose that the next two transfer windows are pivotal. Um, it'll tell a lot about whether last summer was Klopp's fault or the owner's fault. Like, they have to make money available to him. And Klopp himself has got to change a little bit. He's got to become more ruthless now. Um, too, many, too, loyal, too loyal to too many players for too long now. So... It won't be in January. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be booting players out the door in January. But next summer, he's going to have to make some big decisions on players that he will see as his loyal soldiers that have been with him since the beginning or with him through all the periods of success. There's a couple of players in that team that may need to be, if not sold, pushed very much back towards the back of the squad. Now, Klopp needs to make that decision. The owners the owners have to back him. It's simple as like the... Um, as you said, if he isn't backed in January and he's not back next summer significantly, the tide may start to turn against him. Um, I don't even think it'll need Klopp to come out and say anything. I just think the tide will start to turn against him. What that really means, I don't know. I don't see... Um, I think we're a long way off protests um, and we're a long way off Norwich scarves just yet. But um, <laughs> I think 
the fans will start to turn. In terms of Klopp's legacy, like for me, the man can do no wrong. Like I never thought, like I'm fart. I was forty this year. I never thought we'd win the league again. Really, never thought we'd win the league. Um, I thought 2013-14, I thought that was it. I thought we got so close, thought we were never going to win it again. I'd nearly just come to the conclusion that I'll never see Liverpool win the league. And he delivered that holy grail and like and delivered two 90-plus point seasons as well. For me, Klopp is untouchable. Um, his legacy is delivering number 19 and delivering number 6 and getting so close to a quadruple and, and making Liverpool relevant again. I suppose something yeah. to what Jared Hooley had done, but on a longer scale and on a, a more successful scale. Made, he made the club relevant again. We were no longer a laughing stock in the butt of everyone's jokes. So look, Klopp for me is untouchable. But for him personally, like he didn't sign that new contract to battle for top four. I have no doubt about that. So I ex- think he expects to be back next summer. And I have no doubt if he's given what the famous war chest that we often get cold <laughs> about. If he's given that money, he can definitely build a second grade team. Like Guardiola's not going to be at City forever. And as much money as they have, and as I still think Guardiola's worth 10 points extra season today. So like a year or two time, Guardiola could be gone. We'll have built a second team and we'll be back winning leagues again. But he has to be backed. And he has to be back significantly. I ain't talking 200, 250 million between January and the summer. And again, the following summer, another 100 million. Ooh, that's a lot. It's a lot of money, but that's the figures that we're going to need unless we get very lucky with unearthing a couple of uh, rough diamonds and maybe a Batisic fast tracks into the first team. We'll have to, yeah. If you don't Tyler. get them, then look, if you want to say three midfielders, wide forward, and a Bobby upgrade, there's not much change out of 200 million there. No, no, it's it'll it'll require us to go back to those days where we absolutely lauded our recruitment staff for doing the work they're doing. But like it was, I think it might've been on the Redmen. somebody saying of like, when you're building a team to get to the top, it's totally different players that you're looking at as opposed to keeping a team and maintaining them at the top. And I, I mean, it's un, it's hard to argue with that, but at other, at other points, it's not because like you just, we're dying, like we're crying out for Ginny Wijnaldum. You know, we're crying out for a player like that that's available to play 38 league games a year and you can run them 90 minutes every single game. And mm-hmm. yeah, they won't get goals and assists, you know, might pop up with a few absolutely legendary goals in the history of the team, but they're just, they're there to do absolute donkey's work. Like it's to me, one of the players that I, an absolute dream signing after watching him last year in the Champions League, like Fetty Valverde. Fede Valverde at Real Madrid seems like he has very little ego about him. He yeah. is willing to run and run and run and let Cruz and Modric just spray balls around the park and let Benzema just get tap-ins. And he, like, it seems like he believes in the shirt and he loves the team and he's willing to put in that extra little bit of effort. Like, I think he's a superstar. Well, look, he's a fantastic player and he's gone to another level this year, but he's not leaving Real Madrid anytime soon. No, no, yeah, you can you can definitely count that out. And just to clarify, I, I I don't think that there's any negative on Klopp's legacy at all. Like to me, he is the pinnacle. It's just a matter of whether there's another level that we can go up. You know, and it might be it might be that there's not another level that we can go up. 
And Klopp's legacy might be he capped off the FSG years. Like, and I, I do think it's that much because I think there's so much love for Jurgen Klopp amongst, I would say, every single Liverpool fan. That I, I don't know if you can be classified as a Liverpool fan if you don't love Jurgen Klopp. Look, if any Liverpool fans question Jurgen Klopp, they're off their head. Yeah. Absolutely off their head. Look, Klopp, is, Klopp will get us back up there again. It may not be this year. This year might just be when you, we might just have to suffer and we may come outside the top four. But if he's given the tools, given the money, I've no doubt in my mind we will rise again. Like He just makes good players great. And so if he can get great players, you can imagine what he can do with them. So if we can just back him, like look what he done for players like Mane, Salah, Firmino, even Jeannie Henderson, like he, what he turned them into. So we, as you say, we're probably in our shopping at a different level now because we're kind of up there. As you said, it's it's easier. You're buying a different type of player when you're trying to get to the top. When you're kind of at the top, then you're you're in a different market again. But imagine what he could do with a Jew Bellingham, I suppose. Um, a Declan Rice, um, I don't know, some some kind of a an attacking player that someone's going to write into the chat that I don't know that Klopp could Kvaret make. Skellia. Who's that? Kvarit Skellia, a little Georgian kid that plays for Napoli, you know. Something oh, like yeah. That. Is that how you pronounce his name, is it? Yes. Yeah, he's pretty uh, impressive, all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like he could, like if he's given the tools, he will be back up there again. Now, the only problem is the minute that it's not just City now. We're going to be competing against Newcastle. United are coming back. Arsenal have a good young side. So it's not just going to be a straight shootout against City, which might might help us. We might need these 90-something point seasons to win a league. I hope we'd see. I'd like, I'd like yeah. to, chat, to throw in some um, attacking names. Like I'm trying to think of um, a wide attacker and a, a Bobby upgrade that are gettable. Well, uh, Dazzler, Dazzler suggesting the uh, often mentioned Zaha on a free. I, I, I just don't like his attitude. I, I prefer Izzy. I, I, yes, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, also Eze is English, so that's a massive, massive mm-hmm. bonus because we do need to keep aware of our homegrown levels. But there's just like Wolf Zaha is an undeniable talent. There's just no two ways about it. I mean, I got to see him score a goal live in person when we drew Crystal Palace earlier this year, but. Watching, because I like watching Palace. I think Palace have a nice, exciting team. They got a lot of young, you know, talented offensive players. Elise, Eze, you know, Zaha's there is kind of the old dog in the thing. They've gotten rid of old fucking donkey Benteke finally, which is fantastic. And like watching them play and he makes a run and he doesn't get the pass and he's doing the throw his hands up in the air and he's just dropping around. And I, I don't like a player to have that kind of attitude. Like it's different when you do it with a smile on your face. Like when Mo doesn't get the pass or when Mo misses, you know, controlling a ball or something like that. And he throws his hands up in the air and he's kind of, kind of smiling about it, trying to laugh it off. But like, I don't know. So I'm not a fan of Zaha for that. Plus I don't really think he's going to leave. I think he seems pretty comfortable in London and he can, you know, ride his career out with Crystal Palace and be a legend for that team. He could end up with a statue outside of the, uh, the stadium for his service to Crystal Palace. But uh, let's see here. We got another one. Elise, there's another. Yeah, he's um, he's had a few injuries. Hasn't been able to fully get into the Palace team. I don't know what's it injuries. Yeah, we definitely need pace. Um, it's the one thing from the game last Saturday. Sitting in the stadium, and like we're just so slow. 
we just need like this one fellas that can run fast would be really really nice um, but we definitely need an injection of pace because you see no Diaz at the minute we don't have much pace in the forward line Nunes, yeah, Nunes is quick but he's only spitting in at the minute I'd like a little bit more pace out wide uh, Cody Gakpo is an interesting one I see there from Eunice. Uh-huh. He seems to be doing well with PSV. Be interesting to see him in the World Cup. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I'm not Bayern. entirely. I'm not entirely sure how much we need to get because I, I, I think Mo Salah is going to be here for another three seasons. And you know, you look at his injury record. That man is a machine. You know, Mo just doesn't get hurt. Fuck, knock on wood. Like I think you can keep Mo there, and you can rely on him to play two-thirds, three-quarters of the game in a season, and then we can use that right wing spot to bring through some of these young players, whether it's Cannoneer, whether it's Doe, Cone Doherty, you know, some of these young guys, Mushalowski, you know, Fraundorf, whoever. And on the left side, once we get it back from injuries, you know, we've got Diaz, we've got Jada that can play down the left. It's really just a matter of do we, who do we sign as a Bobby replacement, or do we even need a Bobby replacement? You know, do you like, put Jada Jota and Nunes are your centre forwards and sign a left winger with pace. I mean, possibly, but like, I'm hoping that we don't start having to question Luis Diaz's long-term injury. I think that's a question that needs to get raised about Diogo Jota. I think that might be a serious concern. Yeah, Jota's, Jota's I, now Diogo, Diogo Jota, yeah, he, he might be turning into a, a, a perfect Liverpool player. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's a serious problem because he was you know one of the first pieces of the reevolution of this. I don't think reevolution is a word. The next evolution of our squad was bringing in Jada, and he looked like he was going to be perfect for us. But if he's constantly getting injured, like I'm hoping that the management structure and Klopp have all learned of like once a few players like once a player starts picking up injury after injury, it's sometimes better to just cut and just say all right, you know. Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to move on and and go in a different direction. Um, I know one that Kev uh, Kev O'Sullivan is a big fan is uh, Kudus from Ajax. I thought he was pretty brilliant in his little cameo when he came on in the second game we played against him this year. Looks a Trossard. looks a heck of a player. But- Trossard's name is there on the free. Trossard in the free next summer might be a bad signing. Just yeah. uh, like like a Shakiri Origi type figure. Um, not not one for the first eleven, but one for your sixteen, maybe. Would you uh, would you give Bobby Firmino another year contract? Personally, I no, um, I wouldn't because I think we the team is getting too old together. So I think I just don't I don't want a situation where we have too many players on the wrong side of thirty, too many players that are too slow. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be giving a new contract. I, the team has, like you can see it this year, we've been exposed for being too old, too slow in a lot of games. I, I would just be letting him go now. Being a great servant to the club. Um, has a little bit of mini re- renaissance at the beginning of this year, but has started going back to the norm in the last four or five games. I wouldn't be giving him, no, I wouldn't. I think we need younger, hungrier, quicker blood. Uh, Emma Kavanagh says, Sesco, oh, have you got 100 million? Yeah. He's a big kid. I didn't realize mm-hmm. how like six four or something like that. Oh, and Kevin Ball is already kibosh that he's going to Leipzig uh, with a pre agreement already signed. So there you go. That 
the cycle continues of running players through the Red Bull academies. They got to give them credit. They do a pretty brilliant job. Would you job. give Bobby a new contract? I would. Yeah, I would. I would give Firmino a new contract because I don't think I agree with you on the age of the overall squad, but I don't think we have that issue in attack. I think if you look at Diaz, Nunez, Jada, if you throw Fabio Carvalho in there, maybe Harvey Elliott or maybe Curtis Jones into that mix, Moe's 31, but he's more like a Milner 31 than a, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Oxlade Chamberlain 31 or a Fabinho 31. So I think Mo will be okay. So I don't I don't see the harm in having Bobby around for another year just because it's tough because I didn't think that 4-3-3 was – and I still don't. I don't think 4-3-3 is going to be our formation for the next iteration. Like going back to the legacy thing, if Klopp is able to build his next team, I don't think it's going to be 4-3-3. And if it is, some of the players that he's bought at young ages are going to need to experience massive like metamorphoses in how they play. Because I don't see how Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott played in a 4-3-3. I, I, I have real concerns about Harvey Elliott. I think you're mad. Like, I, I'll disagree with you all day on that no. one. I think Harvey Elliott is fucking brilliant. I think, yeah, but he's I, technically, technically very good. He's neat and tidy, but it's a bit of style over substance for me at the minute. Now he's a young kid, and I don't want to be coming in hard on the young lad. But for, at the minute, oh, I have serious reservations around him long term um you want to ask what we think about jacob ramsey uh i haven't seen a lot of them of you i i mean a little bit like bright sparks for villa but i mean in a pretty dog shit villa team but mm-hmm. like to me like again like jacob ramsey falls into that carney chukwameka category where you're like yeah he's a young prospect he's homegrown that counts but our young prospects that could be good in three years that's not what we need for our midfield no yeah we need fellas ready to go right into the team yeah like you need somebody like Declan Rice like people don't like his style but like Yuri Tielemans that they don't need to mature anymore like they're ready to go right now so like I think I think Ramsey has a future like he's definitely going to be a Premier League player he's going to have a good long Premier League career if he doesn't get absolutely submarine by injuries but I don't know if right now that's the issue. If we'd have handled the age transition of our midfield a little bit differently, guys like that would be absolutely perfect. But I think we've got we've got the super young part kind of boxed off. And especially if we add Jude Bellingham, because he's so good at such a young age. Like to me, that's why he's such a he's such a game changer of a signing, is because he's both the ready-to-go everyday midfielder, but also one for five years' time. Like that's the best of both worlds yeah, to get somebody yeah. that good, that young, that it ticks two boxes at the same time. So we've got the Harvey Elliotts and the Fabio Carvalhos and, you know, one of the kids have to come through the Academy eventually, whether it's Jones or Bacetich or Tyler Morton or Bobby Clark or uh, Chambers, like one of those guys are going to be playing, you know, a pretty regular role in our team in three or four years. There's just no doubt about it as far as I'm concerned, or else we've got major work to do. I think but, I, have, I have faith in Carvalho. I think Carvalho will have a better Liverpool career than Harvey Elliott. Really? See, I, yeah. I, 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 I would disagree with that. Not that I don't like him, but from what yeah. I've seen 
for Liverpool? Because like I watched Fabio Carvalho when Fulham played City in the FA Cup, I think, last year. And he scored Cup, against yeah. him. You know, when we were kind of rumored to be signing him and yeah. then it fell through sort of thing. And it was like, oh, shit, look at this guy. He's, you know, he's pretty great. And since he's come to the team, like, he's still, the questions that we had in the summer about Fabio Carvalho, I don't think have been answered yet when everybody's like, where does he play? You know, like, what what is his strength? Is like, is it pace? Is it, you know, link up play? Is it box to box? Like, and to me, he still hasn't quite nailed that down yet. And I'm okay with that. Because to me, yeah, that's the, very much in a child's body still. Yes, yeah. And so is Harvey Elliott, you know. And I mean, apparently to get from that child's body to a man's body, you need to go through the Curtis Jones period where your bones snap apart and refuse back together again and you get, mm -hmm. you know, an inch taller and two stone heavier. But like at Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott are to me about the same age. Like I think they they're very comparable. They're like they're a good comparison to make. You know, they both had a full season in the championship where they've done quite well. They're both quite young. Let's see how they play. And like to me, I, I like Harvey Elliott's work ethic. I think, yeah, his defensive positioning, like the things that are eminently coachable, I think Harvey Elliott needs to work on those things. So, you know, yeah, d defensive positioning, you know, cutting off passing lanes and stuff like that, that will all come with time. And it's both of them have magic in their feet, I think. Like both of them just have a, an immense level of talent, even for, you know, their peers but i there's just something there's something about harvey elliott that just I, I i believe that he's going to have a fantastic career for liverpool and i think the coaching staff has seen both him and fabio carvalho as the future for this team you know i think mm -hmm. that like they can't be so stupid that they haven't envisioned what does our team look like in 2027 they have to have right and they're sitting there looking at it going, okay, we've got Luis Diaz on the left. We got Darwin Nunez up top. We got Fabio Carvalho, Harvey Elliott. And I'm just struggling to see where all those players fit in to a system. It's, it, it's really hard for me to see them all fitting into a 4-3-3 because. Yeah, Harvey Elliott can't play in a 4-3-3. That's a. Well, I, I think, I think Harvey Elliott can play in the three-man midfield more than Fabio Carvalho can. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. I think Carvalho could be developed more. Right now, Elliot probably can play in a four-three-three more than Carvalho. Right? I think. I mean, Carvalho... he's, he's showing that he can. It's not even a. It's not even an argument. Yeah, yeah. Harvey Elliott has played in a midfield in a four-three-three more, and he hasn't been. He hasn't been dynamite. You know, at the start of the season when we were struggling, he was one of our better players. Him, Diaz, and Allison were kind of the only players I thought in the first five, six games of the season that consistently could take some credit coming out of our games that were just absolute dog shit other than that. And we're asking too much of him. And like, I was thinking about like with Harvey Elliott, if when you think about how he's playing and you're like, well, he's here on the scale, but the scale is moving. So if our team's playing as good as they should be playing, where everybody's at an eight or a nine and Harvey Elliott's at a seven, you're like, well, he's not very good, but he's young. That's fine. But if he's at a seven and everybody else is playing at a five or a six and you're like, boy, Harvey Elliott sure is playing good. Like he shouldn't be. You know, mm -hmm. unless you're Lionel Messi levels at that age, you shouldn't be the best player on your team if you are on a really good team when you're 18 or 19 years old. The other players around you that are more senior, more experienced, they should outshine you, you know, over a decent sample size. And they just weren't at the start. And like, I can get why people are kind of doubtful of them, but the rest of the team has been so shit around Harvey Elliott. And I think of Harvey Elliott playing with Fabinho when he's on form and Thiago when he's on form and Trent 
finding some form of assist. As it stands, it seems like Leighton Baines' assist record might be at you know in danger from Andy Robertson, but Trent looks like he might not ever get another assist again. I... Um, yeah, Trent's falling off a cliff this season, but I feel Trent will definitely come back all right. But I, I... As do I, and he's um, too young. But... but Yeah, it's not angry. But look, what you could have, you could find that um, the next crop of youngsters might be better than Elliot and Cavalier, might surpass them. You might have a in a year's time, you might have Bobby Clark, Bacicic, and Ben Doak, and they might just be at 19, 20 better than Elliot and Carvalho are at 20, 21, 22. These can, things can happen as well. Where either of them will be, like, I wouldn't be guaranteed that either of them will be a Liverpool player in three or four years' time. Like, you, if you gave me say, any definitive, I'd say, no, I couldn't guarantee that Elliot and Carvalho will be Liverpool players in three or four years' time. I think the next year to 18 months will tell a lot for both ideally they both should have gone alone again like we should not be depending on these players as we you've said like it's to see we, we've got to a situation where we played a merseyside derby with two teenagers in the middle of the field this season like, that shouldn't be happening we shouldn't be expecting that from them like that's just obviously the lack of planning and a, a lot clap is a lot to blame for that as well i think he too much faith in these young fellas it seems like I'm bashing young players. I'm not. Oh, it think, sure does. Yeah. It just seems where we are now, we should not be playing inexperienced young players. They should not be learning their trade while playing for Liverpool Football Club. They, they should be learning their trade at another club. Out and loan. Come back in when you're ready to play. Liverpool Football Club, in its current guise, in, in all of history, on all my lifetime, a player should not be learning his trade at Liverpool Football Club. You should only be in the first team if you're ready to play first-team football. Yeah, that's hard to argue with that. Uh, I like this comment here from Ken Dagg because it seems like it comes up pretty much on every single show. I call this the Aaron Juan Basaka klaxon. Maybe push Trent into midfield and go and buy a right back because Trent distribution is out of this world, but defensively not good. I just don't think the team is set up like that. And we all have a new love affair, and his name is Calvin Ramsey. You know, his second touch was a Cruyff turn on the sideline against Napoli. So, come on, what's what's not to be excited about? Uh, and, he, and, and he looks comfortable at the back post as well, which is helpful. If I right back and defend the back post, I'd um, have a lot less sleepless nights. Exactly. And then Nick Black says Trent looks stoned, which is a pretty good idea. So, I think, unless you got anything else, uh, we might call this one an evening here. Jonathan, you got anything yes. else? No, I have nothing to add. No, that was good. Yeah, I'll uh, just direct everybody. If you have not already, there's a big little thumbs up button on your YouTube page. You can just go ahead and give that a smash for us. But uh, also, I believe linked in the show description, you'll find the uh, link to the GoFundMe for Lydia. She's trying to raise 5,000 euros for Just give a little read. Uh, and Gav should almost clip out the uh, bit where he talked about Lydia's story because hey, that's that's heart-wrenching, the, the idea that it's like she has crushed glass inside of her body. So 5,000 euros for somebody that has that feeling every day, that ain't a lot to ask. So, you know, donate if you can. Please share along to your social media. If you can't, you have no idea. You know, there's endometriosis is something that affects far too many people. So you have no idea by sharing it who might see that and be able to throw a few uh, euros in there and help get Lydia to her goal. And then uh, we are liverpool.ie, still a few of the uh, LFC day trippers. Beanie hats, toques, as they're actually called, 
are available. Go and get those. Check those guys out. They got all sorts of good stuff. So, yeah, I think we've pretty much solved the team's problems, eh, Jonathan? You know, we've got... Uh, yeah, I think Julian Ward can take the January and the summer off. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get Declan Rice in January and Jude yeah. Bellingham and... Benjamin Sesco in the summer. Yeah. Frankie De Young as well, maybe. Just yeah, well, I mean he's gonna he's gonna come on a free just because yeah. Virgil wants to, you know, Virgil's gonna tell him to come play for us after Holland wins the World Cup this year. So it's easy. See, this director of football stuff is a piece of cake. All right, mm. thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh this has been the LFC Day Trippers, the viewer's voice. We'll see you guys again next Thursday. I do not have the video queued up because I'm kind of new to this. Adios. Sports Social Podcast Network.